Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, then consider Church Partnership Evangelism, will you? You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. Romans 4 finds Paul driving home the truth that we are justified by faith alone. For the sake of our salvation, we must grasp this truth. But also for the sake of the salvation of others, we must live in that truth. The young Jewish Christians in Rome were falling back upon their heritage, their relationship to the law, and the right of circumcision as a sign of their salvation. By doing so, they were shielding from the nations that Paul was sent to reach the true gospel. We must be careful that we don't raise any cultural or moral flag up before people as the means of salvation or as the witness of our gospel. If we do, we will deny the gospel to all the peoples of the earth. It's breaking down your bones. It's destroying you can't make you right. It can't make you right with God. It only can expose your sin. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is revealing. So 16b, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only of those who are of the law, but those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, he's getting back to that point. It's by faith alone. It's by faith alone. Here's the third problem that the Jews had. They claimed the right standing with God was because or by reason of the fact that they followed certain rites and certain ordinances and in this case, the ordinance of circumcision. These religious expressions were to them a mark of their salvation. They became the mark that brought salvation to them. And Paul will point out to them that Abraham was declared righteous years before he was circumcised. Maybe 14 years. Some of the scribes themselves said it was probably 29 years. From the time God declared that he was righteous until he was circumcised then. Remember, the promise of justification is found in Romans 4, 5, that God, it says there, justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify the individual who has performed some religious exercise. He doesn't justify the individual who's followed certain moral laws. He justifies the ungodly, not the almost good enough, not those who are trying really hard and need a little boost, not those who have followed rituals, but the ungodly. And then on in that argument, Paul then introduces us to David, who is our example of the kind of individual who God justifies. And David is an adulterer, a premeditated adulterer. And David is a murderer, a premeditated murderer. And what do we say? There was in the Jewish law no sacrifice, nothing that could be done for a person who engaged in a premeditated act of sin. When Nathan came to David and confronted him with his sin and David was willing to acknowledge it, maybe he said to Nathan, go back and find out, read the Bible, read the scriptures and find out what I can do, what sacrifice I can bring to remove this guilt from my life. And Nathan comes back and says, there's nothing. There's no sacrifice for you. There's nothing that God offers. So David cries out to God, I have nothing I can do. God, be merciful to me. God, cleanse me. God, wash me. Against you and you only have I sinned and you're just and your condemnation against me. But, oh God, forgive me and cleanse me. He has no claim. 
has no halter to even cling to at this moment in time. And he just cries out to God for mercy, believing that there's only one answer, and it's that God might be merciful to him. And God is. And God washes him, and God forgives him, and God cleanses him. And Paul adds what David sings as a result of discovering this forgiveness that comes, ungodly as he was, that justifies him and cleanses him. Blessed, he quotes, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. It's in verse 7. And those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And that's a direct quote from the words of David, exalting in the forgiveness that had been brought to him, that he could not acquire or do anything to gain for himself. So this is the example. How did David receive this blessedness of forgiveness? Did he receive it because he was circumcised? How did Abraham receive this blessedness of righteousness that was imputed to him? Did it come to him because he got circumcised? No. It happened 14 or 29 years after the moment in which Abraham was declared to be righteous. At what point did God say to Abraham that it was accounted to him as righteousness? Let's read verses 10 and 11 again here of verse 4. At what point did God say to Abraham his faith was accounted as righteousness? Here's what Paul writes. How then was it accounted? Basically saying, when then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised. Now that kind of brings us to an idea of what, what was the value of Abraham's circumcision. It didn't bring him righteousness. It didn't make him righteous. It was simply a sign or a seal a representation, an authentication of the righteousness that was his 14 years prior. God gave it as a testimony and as a freshener symbol of the righteousness that had already been poured out to him. And what you need to know is a sign and a symbol is a wonderful thing like the ring on your finger, but it's no replacement for what it's pointing to and what it represents. A man may love his wife. He might love his wife so much that he decides to get a tattoo of his wife on himself. I don't recommend it, by the way. I'm not recommending that you do that. And it represents her, and it might mean a lot to him because she means a lot to him, but it's a poor, poor replacement for herself. I have a lovely picture of my wife on my phone. When I'm traveling, I, I like to open my phone up over and over again, even when I don't have anything to do with it, just so I can see her picture. It's a wonderful thing. But, you know, if I was in the house one day and my wife was maybe giving me some instruction I didn't want to receive, or rebuking me for some things that I was doing that I shouldn't be doing, which your wives do, they're good conscience. And all of a sudden I turned away from her and I just looked at the picture on her phone. You know? <laughs> that would get me in trouble, right? It's not a good idea. The phone is a picture that's a representation of my love for her and my, my giving my life to her and the grace that God has poured out in my life and given me such a wonderful bride. But the, the picture is not a replacement for the bride, right? The nation of Israel had taken these rituals that God had given them and they'd made it a replacement in a sense, these symbols for the wonderful work that God was going to and wanted to do in their lives through faith and they were trusting in the symbols. And the symbols meant nothing without the reality. There is a correspondence between circumcision and baptism. In baptism we come and we express the faith that we had in Jesus Christ. When we receive Christ as our Savior at that moment, we are, in a sense, accounted as having been immersed into the death of Jesus Christ. All that He did for us when He died on the cross for our sins is accounted to us 
And in that moment, by faith, we are, in a sense, submersed into his death to sin. So it's all cared for in Jesus Christ. And then through Jesus Christ and our faith in him, we come out of that death that we give ourselves to and the death he died for us in order to live in his resurrected power. And baptism is an expression of that spiritual reality. I am, as I go down to the water, expressing to everybody and giving testimony that my life has been immersed completely in the death of Jesus Christ for my sins and my faith is completely in him having died fully for me and for all my sins. And in my faith in Jesus Christ, I've risen with Jesus Christ to his new life. To live for him and honor him and glorify him. And it's a beautiful expression. But it's meaningless if it doesn't speak to and represent the spiritual reality. It's meaningless unless I haven't put my faith in Jesus Christ and trusted him and trusted that he's covered for all my sins and believed that he's risen from the dead to bring to me all his life and promises. That's what the Jews had done. They'd taken a wonderful symbol and they'd made it and they'd put into it some meaning and some claim without it. Paul actually goes on to say, look at the chronology of all this. I want to explain to you something. Look at the chronology in which God saved and attributed righteousness to Abraham, and then how long it took before God even gave him this act of circumcision. Why did God wait so long? I mean, when a person is baptized in the book of Acts, they were baptized right after they believed. They were to believe, and then they were immediately to be baptized. But here, Abraham has believed God and God has not brought Abraham this wonderful seal or expression of circumcision as an expression of this righteousness that has come to him until 14 years later. Why did God wait? Why did God have Abraham do it immediately after his faith in God? Paul is going to explain that to us here. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul is going to explain it in this way. He's going to say the reason God did this was because if God did it immediately after Abraham's faith, you might think that it was the circumcision that made him righteous and therefore you might think that all those nations who are uncircumcised can't be made righteous by God that it comes by something other than faith verse 11 and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised so in other words God delayed it in order that he might relate to all people that it's by faith alone that you're made righteous so that the people of Israel would be ready and willing to extend that message to all the nations and not somehow hold some right standing in themselves because they followed some religious exercise and also he says the father of the circumcision to those who are not only circumcised as if that's not really the big issue here but who also walk like the uncircumcised who walk in faith now, oddly enough, he's saying the Gentiles are the example you're supposed to follow in. The people who believe in Jesus without receiving these religious rituals. Who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abram had while still uncircumcised. You know what? You need the faith like uncircumcised people, he says. You need the faith of people who don't know all the rituals and don't know all the religious rites and don't know what they're supposed to They just simply believe. You need to be like that. And you can still be saved even though you've got these rituals, but only if you believe like the people who don't have the rituals and they just believe in him. Isn't that an odd twist? The Jews thought they were saved by all these rituals. And he flips it around and says, now nah, you're really going to have to follow the example of these uncircumcised Gentiles in order for you to know what faith is. Come to the church that way. We start following all these kinds of rituals. We have all these liturgies. We have all these trusts and these sacraments that we follow. We 
bolster ourselves around them and we draw meaning from them, wonderful meaning from them. But at some point in time, we rest in those things and it's like, nah, you, you got to kind of believe God like the man who's just in a ditch and he's desperate and he just reaches out and says, Jesus, save me and rescue me. You got to have faith like that guy who hasn't even pulled himself out of his misery, but he just trusts in Jesus. Otherwise, you don't have the right kind of faith. You don't have the saving faith that you need. That's what Paul's saying. That brings us to our application. The application here that Paul's making is this gospel is to be available to everyone. This gospel is to be available to all the nations. This gospel of faith, salvation by faith alone through the grace that God provides, the free gift that God provides, the free promises of blessing that God has made. This salvation, it must be, this must be the salvation we profess and we proclaim because only this salvation can go to all the nations and can be apprehended by all the people of the earth. And we're missionaries. And that's our call and that's our duty. So here's the application for ourselves. Who do we identify with here? Well, first, I think we have to kind of identify with those Jews who have patterned ourselves and around ourselves, customs and behaviors and ideas, and good as they might be, that can become so important to us and so valued by us that they undermine our ability to proclaim the message to lost people. Thanks for joining us today. Before we sign off, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed called testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches that do not have a true born-again relationship with the Lord Jesus and so face the prospect of His rejection and judgment on the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop a site where a person can apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test themselves and see whether they are in the faith. Please go to that site and prayerfully consider someone else that you can share it with. For now, we look forward to being with you again at the Bread of Life. Till then, may God bless you.